everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, football secrets and dipping favorites. Agents can be, we can have a hard road sometimes. In other words, sometimes you fly to meet a kid and, you know, plane is delayed. You're sleeping in your car to try to catch up with him or you have to sleep in the airport. Yeah. And I would say there's absolutely a dirty component to it. Um, now, you know, we, we obviously don't do that and we don't participate in those things, but there's been countless number of times where there'll be a player that literally will say, Hey, well, this agent's paying me this while he's in college, mind you. And, you know, the thing I would say in any negotiation is it's always about leverage. If you have leverage, you can absolutely enforce a better deal. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like download, subscribe, share, we really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So even if you're not a big sports fan, I have always found the business side of sports to be utterly fascinating. There's just so much involved that it creates a world unto itself, both in terms of the amount of money and also this secretive underbelly that comes along with that amount of money, wealth, fame, and power. Our first guest is an expert in the business side of sports. This is NFL agent Chris Turnage. How do you become an NFL agent? Yeah, you know, that's a question a lot of people ask. Um, and there, there are certainly some some nuances to it. So you have to actually go pass, take an exam and pass, administered by the NFL Players Association. They're who governs the licensing of agents. In order to sit for that exam, you have to have a graduate degree. It can be any graduate degree. It doesn't have to be a law degree. Or you have to have five years of practical experience as well as an undergraduate degree. The exam is given in Washington, D.C., and as I said, administered by the NFL Players Association, which is the union for the players. And once you pass that exam, there's about a 40% pass rate, I think, 40 45% pass rate. Um, then you can say, all right, you pay your fee and you're an agent. Now that's the easy part. Uh, then the hard part is, okay, what do I, what do I do next? I'm an agent now. Now how do I go get clients? Um, so I happen to be a lawyer and, and have a law degree and that's how I got into it. Something I always wanted to do. So I went to law school at night, uh, while I worked for a bank and then, uh, went and took the bar exam. And then after that took the NFLPA exam and, uh, and got certified. Are most agents, are most agents lawyers? I think there's about 50% or 60% are lawyers, but the others are not. The other 30, 40, uh, 50% are not lawyers. So I feel like this job, everybody knows what an NFL agent is, but what is an NFL agent really doing, right? Like I know, oh, he's probably negotiating contracts, but what are you really doing? Like what's a typical day-to-day kind of... It's interesting. Everybody's first reference point is Jerry Maguire. So no, I'm not just yelling in the phone, show me the money all the time. Yeah. You know, that's uh, that's everybody's initial go-to. But, you know, it's, it's really unique job because agents wear so many different hats. Um, there are times to where we're, you know, pastor, father figure, uh, attorney, lawyer, um, you know, counselor, all kind of wrapped in the one, depending on what some of these players need and where they come from. And so on any given day, like the other, I'll give you an example. The other day I had kind of a list of things on my to-do list that I was going to do. And then all of a sudden we had a situation where our player got COVID uh, with the team. And so we had to jump into action and the team's calling us. We're having to work on that aspect of things and and help develop that. And then um, this time of year, teams are signing players to what they call futures deals, meaning they're signing for next year. Teams that teams whose season is over, they're signing for next year. So, we had another player that the team wanted to sign him, but we were going to go to a different team. And so I was dealing with that to make sure that deal was was set up with a different team. It can be really, really unique. Again, negotiation of contracts is, as you mentioned, the thing that everybody thinks about. And that's a big component of it. But there's a lot of other things when it comes to 
you know, hey, I didn't play well. The kid's really down on himself. You got to really talk him into that or he misses a big kick if it's a kicker, misses a big kick in a primetime game and everybody on Twitter is bashing him. You know, and that can be hard for a kid or his family to kind of take. It really kind of sounds like almost a facilitator, business manager, kind of father figure-ish type role, really. Yeah, I think a lot of times it can be, and especially, you know, given, I would say, I don't know the exact statistic on this, but I'd say over 60% of the people that we talk to client-wise that we want to be clients um, come from a broken home, don't have a father figure in their life. I'd say, you know, you're exactly right, um, Nick, that it can be that a father figure role at times and, and to be able to help that. Okay, so how does this process work? Do you identify like you see a guy in college and like, man, I want that guy? Do they come to you? Like, do you recruit? Do they recruit? How does that work? How do you get new clients? You know, it's a combination of both. Um, I'd say, though, the majority is us recruiting them. That's done two ways. Number one, we identify them, uh, but we also have a network of NFL scouts that we really talk to, have those relationships with. So we can say, you know, hey, scout for the, the Ravens, who do you like this year? from this school or who do you see coming up as a potential guy that can make it? And so then we really start recruiting them. And it's really then at that point, a sales business in a sense, because they're just to give you an example, it's a very, very competitive business when it comes to recruiting. There are about 850 licensed NFL agents in the country of that only half have at least one client on a roster. So you cut out 400 and something right off the top, basically. And then of that half, only half of that have five or more on a roster. And so it gets very, very top heavy, and but you're all competing for the same pool of, of players. And, you know, if an agent doesn't have a player on a roster in a three-year span, they lose their license. So then they got to go back through the whole testing and all that stuff again. So you can see they can get more desperate and start to try to offer some crazy things, um, you know, in the recruitment cycle. And so it's very, very competitive. So when we're recruiting them, it's a, it's a sales business. Why should you choose me over somebody else? to represent you? What can I bring to you? What is our difference? And it you know, becomes that, that sales factor and the relationship factor. What's the thing that, that, that you go towards in terms of selling your brand? You know, I mean, without, uh, in case you have all these agents listening to your podcast without getting into the exact details, um, but just in general, what, what we really try to focus on is, you know, with us, you're going to receive personal attention. We're not we're more of, of a boutique size. We have 30 current NFL players, which is a good size for an agency. Um, but there's some agencies that have, you know, 150 under contract. And so we really pitch, hey, you're going to get personal attention. You're going to get us. You're not having to deal with our intern or secretary every day, number one. But then you're going to get confidence, number two, based on some of the contracts and some of the things we've done. I want to kind of ask you this question in a way that you can answer it. But when I look at the business completely from the outside, where my knowledge is movies and TV shows and documentaries, would is it a dirtyish business? Is it a cleaner business than I would expect? Like, I think you know what I'm asking. How can you kind of answer that question? Yeah, and I would say there's absolutely a dirty component to it. Um, now, you know, we we obviously don't do that, and we don't participate in those things. But there's been countless number of times where there'll be a player that literally will say, "Hey, well, this agent's paying me this while he's in college, mind you. Can you guys match that? If so, I'll go with you or whatever." And so, there's absolutely a dirty component. Now, like in any industry those bad agents kind of sometimes give the whole entire uh, industry a bad name. You know, Nick Saban one time called agents just pimps that are preying on the prospects, on the athletes. And so, um, again, those are, I think, the few, but there are certainly um, some crazy. And I'll give you a, a crazy story about that. I was recruiting a kid. I'm not going to mention his name or school or anything. And this was about with about three or four games left to go in his senior season. 
And he said, well, I'll tell you what, my girlfriend is pregnant. And he said, we're going to get an abortion. If you'll pay for my abortion right now, then I'll sign with you. And I'm like, man, I think you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. You're like that's, that's not what I'm about. And so, but he was very blunt about it, very open and said, Hey, here's what, this is what I want. And if you'll pay for it right now, then I'll go ahead and sign, even though that's illegal to sign right now. Uh, so you do get that and you do see some of the, some of the, the dirty side of things. For the players and the the agents that kind of participate in that side of it, do they rise to the top or do they get filtered out? Um, certainly, I think there's there's pretty good examples of both that will rise to the top. I mean, certainly a lot of times the higher the player that's going to be, in other words, if they're going to be a first-round pick, the more opportunities you see for that. And certainly I'm not suggesting all first-round picks are that way, but the more opportunity you see where people are more willing to do things for that first-round pick. And so – um, at the same time, you see some of those agents who thrive um, because they, they're very smart and they haven't been caught yet. And then you see some of those players who do it that still it's not a big deal. And they still get drafted very high. You might remember uh, several years ago, five, six years ago, there was a or maybe it was seven, but a North Carolina scandal um, to where some of the players, they found out they were getting paid and they had some games that they came back and took away and forfeited and all that stuff. And also one of the, the bigger well-known is Reggie Bush. Um, you know, it was found out that he was getting paid by an agent when he was in school. It does happen, but at the same time, it doesn't affect Reggie Bush's draft stock when he gets drafted or anything like that. Is it part of the game that that everybody knows what the rules of the game are, so to speak? And yeah, there's people who do this and yeah, there's people who do that. But it is also the is it a flaw of the business or is it how the business is? No, I absolutely think it's a flaw of the business. Um, part of the part of the the hard part to enforce. So the NFLPA again is the one that enforces agents, right? Now the NCAA can enforce if somebody is paying a player while in college if they get information. But from the NFLPA side of things, they don't have subpoena power, so they can't subpoena you and force you to come testify. They can't subpoena your phone records to be able to confirm something. And conversely, the NCAA has no subpoena powers. So like Reggie Bush never once met with NCAA investigators. He just said, "No, I'm not going to do it." Now, they had some other people that came forward who, that they're able to get information from, but it makes it very, very difficult to police. But it is an unfortunate part, I would say, you know, of the business that is that is should not be there. But I wouldn't I would I don't think a lot of agents just say, hey, that's just the way it is. We've got to succumb to it. I think there's a there's the vast majority of agents don't don't do that and just think it's an unfortunate part. I always forget watching football games that these are 20 25 30 year old basically kids i mean do they do they seem to have any idea what they're getting into i don't think a lot of them do now some of them have seen teammates that go to the nfl or some of them might have family members that really help with that transition but again like you said you got to remember what were you doing at 21 and all of a sudden you know you're going to a new city you're getting hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> i mean you're getting everybody that wants to be your friend because of the fame that comes along with it and so um, it is it is shell shocking for some of these people that come, especially if they're going from a small town and all of a sudden they get drafted by the L.A. Rams or something. Right now they're going from a town of 15,000 and they're going out to L.A., the media capital of the world there. And so it can absolutely be um, very, very traumatic in some cases. And so we try to help ease that burden. We try to, again, make it smooth for them where they have their housing lined up or they have something lined up. We try to go out and see them to make sure they have that friendly face. Uh, that they can call and talk to us about. Um, you know, it's funny because you talk about that. Sometimes we forget these players in college, their team books all the flights for them. So they don't 
they don't have the experience of booking a flight. They don't have to worry about that, right? And so sometimes I've learned over the years, one time I had a player call me and he said, hey, how do I get a flight to go home to see my mom? You know, I was like, um, you go to Travelocity and type in where you want to go. I mean, but you don't think about those things. And then another funny example in Dallas, there's obviously two airports, Dallas Love and DFW. And so oh, no. one time we had a player who was in working out, he was training in Dallas to get ready for the draft. And it never even crossed my mind to tell him there were two airports. Of course, it said at the ticket, Dallas Love, but I didn't think about that. And so he was about to fly out to go to a team visit. And so he calls me right about the time. Well, I called him to make sure he was leaving on time. He's going to get to the airport an hour early. And he calls me at the time the plane's supposed to leave. He's like, hey, Chris, I've been sitting here. My plane, I don't even see my plane number where it's supposed to be. And I'm like, where are you at? You know, and he, he was at DFW and his plane was leaving from love. So it is, uh, I say that to say sometimes these guys don't have the world experience that you need and hopefully that's where we can step in to help ease that burden i would obviously imagine from a financial standpoint you want to have patrick mahomes you want to have the big 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 kind of guys but from like a mental health well-being keep my business going provide for my family like what kind of what level of player is the best player to have you know that's a good question and i don't know that there'd be a specific answer um you're right financially hey if we can get First rounders, that's awesome. However, with that becomes more people trying to poach them, right? So you've got other agents that are constantly trying to steal the higher profile clients because of the financial reward that you mentioned. And so, I mean, I think for us, it's very, very critical to make sure we find the right type of person, no matter where they're going to be drafted. In other words, a player that we really feel like is going to be loyal, fits into what we do, is honest, um, appreciates the hard work that we provide, doesn't view agents as commodity that all agents are equal we really try to target those guys and again whether they're first round picks or preferred free agents who aren't drafted uh, those are some guys that we really gravitate towards and have had a good success with and you can make a pretty like okay let me just ask you this directly and you can answer it however you want like how much money do you essentially make from each client is it a percentage is it a fixed yeah, amount so it, or it, how it's does a that percentage work? and so the maximum amount that an agent can charge on the nfl is three percent of their contract um, sometimes, I mean, I can tell you everybody on our stable pays 3%. Um, but sometimes a guy might command less than that if they're going to be a surefire first round pick, like you mentioned, a Pat Mahomes or something like that. Um, now that's on the agency side. We also do the marketing side of things. And so the industry standard on marketing deals, when you see a guy on a TV commercial or you see an autograph session, those are anywhere from 30, 15 to 30% commission. Um, but uh, but that's yeah, that's kind of the way so that we don't get paid unless they get paid. So it's very, very critical, you know, for us to make that. The other the other financial component to that is, you know, during training, as in right now, from January until the draft, we're paying for these guys to train. We're paying their housing, their meals, all of that stuff to help them get ready for the draft. And so you're talking, you know, each investment in a player is anywhere from fifteen thousand to thirty thousand dollars per player. So you can't miss on too many guys or else you're going to see that those economics just don't work, right? It's a, essentially kind of an investment, right? And I would imagine a lot of these guys, they don't necessarily have like, look, I can't, I can't afford to do Absolutely. this. Is, is that how that works? Yeah, that's 100% right. So, you know, you're sending them to a facility that's dedicated to training them. You've probably seen some of the NFL combine sometimes where they're running 40s. They're doing different things like that. So as you mentioned, an investment in order to maximize their opportunity – um, that can help them and obviously hopefully help you, then you send them to kind of one of these facilities. And these facilities are not cheap. Um, and they've over the years, they've said, hey, we can just charge the agent more. No big deal. Let's just push the burden to the agent and raise our prices. And and in some instances, it's a guy, you have to do it 
for to get that client. You know, you have to provide the service in order to get a certain level of client. So how much does the agent matter? Like, are you talking about without with the right agent, a guy who wouldn't be in the league is now in the league. A guy who wouldn't be a star is now a star. And my answer to that is, yes, it can. An agent can, depending on the circumstances. I mean, I'll tell you this, like when Andrew Luck was coming out, I'm just going to use him because he was, or let's use Trevor Lawrence this year, right? Trevor Lawrence is a consensus number one pick. My sister could represent him. She knows nothing about football. She could represent him and he's still going to be the number one overall pick this year, period, no matter what, right? So that in that instance, it doesn't matter. But there are certainly tons of instances that do matter um, a lot. And to your point, there are guys that might not be in the league if they didn't have a good agent. Um, traditionally, you, you might see that from a small school guy. And so the agent, you know, gets that player training, gets them in a great program. The player then goes and tests really well. And then the agent has connections with some scouts to be able to say, hey, man, you really, really have to get this guy a look. I promise you he's not going to steer you wrong. And that guy's, okay, hey, you've, you and I have had a good relationship over the last couple of years. You've had some good players. I'm going to bring him in. And then that kid, they bring him in, that kid makes the team. And so absolutely an agent can matter in those scenarios or can matter from going from a seventh round to fifth round. Um, I'll give you one example. Several years ago we had – during the draft, a GM calls and he says, hey, I'm thinking about drafting your guy, but I hear he's late to everything. I hear he has a problem showing up on time. And this guy really was late, and we didn't realize it at the time, but he literally was late. No one had ever set him down. He was a star athlete coming out of high school, and so his college didn't uh, really enforce that. And so he said, if you give me your word that he's not going to be a problem, then we're going to take him with our next pick in this fifth round. But if I, if I can't have your word personally, then we're probably going to push it back a little bit. And so, again, this is a guy I have a really good relationship with. And I said, yeah, you have my word. He's not going to be late for you. So they drafted him, and I set the guy down, and I said, look, here's what's on the line. Here's their perception of you. You have to change that. So after camp, the GM calls, hey, he was a model citizen. He was on time to everything. I really appreciate, you know, your efforts. And so, again, an agent absolutely can matter. Now, some some people, again, view agencies as a – as a commodity that say, Hey, all agents are the same. Whoever can pay for my training. I don't care who it is, but that's just not the case from a negotiation standpoint. And then from a, from a relationship standpoint to be able to leverage those relationships to help your players. I would imagine it makes a huge difference in the guys that I'm not a huge sports football fan, as you can tell by the fact that I just said sports football, (laughs) Um, but like, I would imagine it makes a huge difference for the guys that, that I probably haven't heard of. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, you know, for first round picks, Agents don't make as much of a difference as I was saying a while ago. But after that, absolutely. The farther down you go, that's where an agent can really, really change that player's career, um, you know, because of their connections, because of what they do for the player. Are you, we got a bunch of listener submitted questions. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? <laughs> Let, let's do it. Most interesting experience negotiating a contract. You know, that's a great question, the most interesting experience. So what I'll tell you is a lot of times, or not a lot, almost every time, the team is going to downplay your client to you, right? Which is part of the role we play, so they're not talking directly to the client. They're like, oh, your client can't do this. Your client can barely walk and chew gum. You know, we can't afford to pay him that because he can't do this. And so they're throwing tons of statistics at you, tons of different things where they try to justify, right? So uh, one time, you know, I'll tell you, we had a – we had a very, very significant contract. This guy, this player ended up becoming the highest paid player at his position in the NFL when the contract was done. And they were throwing some, the team was throwing some stats at us, but we had, had our own kind of analytics and stats. And they were talking about how many sacks the player had had. And I'm like, look, he hadn't had that many sacks. He hadn't done this. 
And I said, well, did you realize, though, that 85% of your sacks come from when he's in the game? Why? Because he's eating up a double team up front, which is helping the other guys get sacks, even though he's not doing it personally. And they kind of got quiet on the other end, you know, when we're talking. And uh, like, wow, I guess they didn't either either know we were going to come up with that or they hadn't thought of that. Uh, and we were able to get what we wanted. Um, I can tell you in that particular instance, the player had said, you know, I'll be happy with X amount per year. And we got him about $4 million per year over X, what he said he'd be happy with. So it was a really good uh, a really good scenario. Um, you know, one other example I'll tell you that that's that's always fun is um, there are times as a negotiator and as an agent where you have to bluff. Now, a lot of people, the perception out there amongst everybody is you can always just say, oh, hey, he's getting a million dollars. You got to pay that. That's not the case. You can't just bluff every single time and just throw out crazy stuff. Um, but there was one particular time where we had a guy who went undrafted. He was a free agent. The team really, really wanted him. But as it turned out, that was the only team that really liked him. We didn't have another actual hard offer. But I was able to leverage that scenario, and they were offering a smaller signing bonus for an undrafted player. I think it was 10000 at the time. And I said, well, look, we've got this other team that he's about to go to right now. we got to have 20, and he'll come there. But he's not coming without that. We literally didn't have another offer on the table. And so it was a little bit of a roll of the dice. Like I said, you can't do that in every scenario. You have to really, really know your audience and know your team. Um, and the team was like, all right, done. We'll take him. We want him. And so – at the end of the day, they felt like I'd done them a favor because I sent them that guy, even though, and even though they were willing to pay more. Uh, but they thought they were competing against another team when, in reality, they weren't. What, that, for that, when you're negotiating that process, right? Like, is it you and the GM in a room, or is it teams of lawyers on phones, or like, what does it kind of look like? You know, it's different. So, if you're an undrafted free agent, meaning if you don't get drafted in the seven rounds of the NFL draft, that contract is negotiated in about literally two minutes over the phone after the draft because it's very, very fast paced. You got the team that's saying, Hey, we got to know right now, this is what we can give. If you don't, if you don't get him, we're going on to the next guy. We got to know right now. We go back and forth a little bit, contract's done, boom, and it's signed. If you're a drafted guy, then typically, especially for rounds three through seven, you're negotiating with their contract person, the team's contract person who is usually an attorney that's worked with the team. They're an expert in the salary cap. Um, to be able to manage that. So you're kind of negotiating and going back and forth with them. If it's a first, second round, maybe third round pick, then you that's when you're going to be negotiating with the GM, their contract person very, very heavily. Uh, excuse me. Usually those are going to be over the phone, over Zooms. Um, and then as you get closer, a lot of times it might go into a room together where you sit down across the table to finalize something. Is it mostly the situation where everybody kind of knows what somebody is worth, right? Like, I'm going to say 60, you're going to say 40, we both know it's going to be 50. Or is it really more a situation where, like, I have no idea what we're going to get? You know, when, when you have rookies, it, it's very, it's a slow, there's a slotted scale for the drafted players. So, in other words, the first-round draft pick can get a very small range of X to X, second round, second pick, X to X. So, you know that going in for – uh, veteran players contracts, that's what it's more abstract and there's more creativity and art to it because there's not that number that you said there's not a standard. And so it's like anything else. And you think about when you sell your house, what you use are comps from the neighborhood, right? What other people sell their houses that are similar to yours for. And that's kind of the same thing we do. Now, what's interesting is a team will always try to find that low comp and say, hey, we think he's more like this. And we're going to try to find that high comp to say, yeah, but we think he's more like this. And here's why. And then the, the negotiation is the art at that point is can we get them closer to our high comp or can they get us closer to their low comp? And, you know, the thing I would say in any negotiation is it's always about leverage. If you have leverage, 
you can absolutely enforce a better deal. If you have five people that want to buy your house, you're probably going to get an offer above what you're asking, right? Above the asking price. If you have one person and you're trying to get rid of the house and you're ready to move, I'll pretty much take whatever you offer me type thing as long as it pays off my mortgage. So it's all about the leverage point there. Strangest place you've ever signed a client. (laughs) Um, Let me think about that for a little bit as as I'm thinking, you know, agents can be, we can have a hard road sometimes. In other words, sometimes you fly to meet a kid and, you know, plane is delayed and you're sleeping in your car to try to catch up with them or you have to sleep in the airport. So obviously quarterback, right? Quarterback's going to probably get the most money. But outside of a quarterback, is there a certain position that you would most like, like, I want clients who play this position? As far as paying wise, generally your left tackle, um, if you have a lockdown cornerback and then a defensive pass rusher, those are going to be your next highest paid positions, those three. Um, However, as I mentioned about the competition earlier, all of the agents know that as well. So the competition is more fierce for those particular positions, again, because the pay is, is, is greater for those. Um, I love I work with a lot of specialists, um, kickers, punters, snappers. They don't make as much money, but their career is usually longer. They're usually less high maintenance. They don't they don't demand as much as some of the other positions, particularly. Uh, but I also love working with offensive linemen. Um those are the very, very durable. Um, again, usually low maintenance as far as, you know, demanding stuff. So th- those are, those are kind of some of the ones that I look at. Most interesting contract request. Well, first I'll tell you one that we didn't take that the player, and then I'll tell you one that we did. So we had, we were recruiting a player and he said, you know, he thought he was going to be higher in the draft than what he was, which, which happens quite frequently. And so uh, he was like, hey, when if we sign with you, you know, we want you to guarantee that we're going to get a suite at the team um, that we play for their their stadium. So my parents can come watch my family. I was like, whoa, whoa, like you're not you're not going to be able to get this. You're, you're probably a third or fourth round pick th- draft pick, not first round, you know, first overall. And they're like, well, that's that's what we want. We want that. And so we did. We turned him down. We didn't work with that player. But that was kind of unique. Um, as far as an actual one that was unique, um, I'll actually go with a coach's example. So we represent coaches as well, in addition to players. And uh, coaches' contracts, you know, they don't have the restrictions that players do. Players, you still have to fall under the salary cap, different things like that. Coaches, there's really no restriction. And so um, one of our one of our college coaches, it was funny because we almost got the deal. We were almost done. We had everything hammered out, the salary, the benefits, all this stuff. And he was like, hey, uh, you know, you think I could have uh, an extra $40 credit at the gift store, you know, to buy some hoodies for me and my wife? I'm like, dude, you're about to get a couple hundred thousand dollars on your contract. And you want 40 extra dollars for some hoodies. Um, and so it's like, yeah, we, we'll get that. And I was just going to throw that in. If the school wouldn't agree to it, then I was just going to go get him some freaking hoodies, you know? People are always people, right? Absolutely. No matter what happens. Hey, man, can I get can I get like $25 for some Snickers? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that's always. I'm not signing that. I'm not signing that. <laughs> All right, let's get this one over with. Have you ever said, show me the money? <laughs> I have not. Um, so that, again, that's everybody's reference point. And, uh, and I have not, uh, not ever had the occasion to use that. Uh, I'm ready. It's in my repertoire. I'm ready to pull it out at some point, but, uh, but I have not had the occasion to. I would, I would kind of imagine that. So I used to be a news anchor 
and nobody would ever talk about the movie's Anchorman because we were so sick of it. <laughs> is that what Jerry Maguire is like for you guys? Kinda, yeah, you I don't mean, even say somewhat. It. You know, I will say it is somewhat realistic. You know, when you got Jerry Maguire sitting up there and he's about to lose Kush to his his rival agent that used to be his partner. I mean, again, there is a lot of that that goes on. But yeah, to your point, that that's everybody's automatic reference point uh, is Jerry Maguire. Do you think that there will ever be fully guaranteed contracts in the NFL? I do not. Um, reason being is if you look at it from the owner's standpoint, they don't have to do that right now. So why would they? Why would they ever give in to say, sure, we're going to fully guarantee it, which is really crazy because you think about it, it's the most violent sport with the most injuries, the highest the highest rate of injury out of all the major sports, and yet it's the only one that doesn't have fully guaranteed contracts. But, again, if you're looking at it from the owner's side, why would they give it up when they have what they've got? And so I don't think you're ever going to see like an NBA scenario where every player's contract is 100% guaranteed. Do you think with the move move towards digital streaming, there will be any fundamental changes in the NFL? I think what you're going to see with the digital streaming package is you're going to see increased rights, TV rights, uh, broadcast rights which is going to increase – that goes into the pot that increases the salary cap for the teams, which is great because the rising tide lifts all ships. you got the teams in that are doing better. Players are making more money because of increased salary cap, more benefits, and consequently we're making more money. And so it's kind of all that. So I, I, don't, think TV, I don't think you're ever going to see the NFL go away from TV, but I think you're going to certainly see them continue to add uh, more and better streaming options. What is your best negotiating tactic – I can't answer that just in one because I don't have necessarily a best one. It really depends on the situation. Again, it depends on your leverage. Um, I'll tell you though, a, a good, just in general, a good negotiating tactic in general is um, what they call mirroring. So when, when the guy calls and says, Hey, this is what I got for your guy. You just repeat it, not in a sarcastic tone. You just repeat it. And a lot of times that will make the other person think, wait a second, did I not offer good enough? What's wrong with this offer? And, and it's the way you say things. And so I've tried to study a lot about different negotiation tactics and tried to learn and certainly never, never to a point where I can't learn. And so, um, I, again, I wouldn't say there's just some, cause some guys come at you and they want to play hardball and look, this is my bottom line. I'm just going to start with it, but you know, it's not. And then some guys are, are more cordial. They work with you. They want to massage the deal and they offer you a deal and they know it's not going to be what you take. And so again, it kind of depends on the person, the scenario and, and the amount of leverage that you have, um, but certainly having good relationships can help that process with 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 as many people as you can with the teams. On that, what what would be your best recruiting story? Now, are we talking funniest or, or best, like success? Because there there's a you know a combination. Well, let's 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 laugh at you first, and then we'll applaud. You. <laughs> well, uh, you know, recruiting is again, it's it can be funny because you've got a lot of people competing over the same pool of players, um, potentially the ones that get drafted out of the approximately 255, 256 players that get drafted. And so, uh, as you can imagine, it can get very, very tedious. I'll, I'll give just two brief examples. One time I go and I'm meeting with the family, the dad and the kid, and I had to drive like two hours to get there and I've been working on it. I get there and the dad sets a stopwatch and he says, I've been taking calls from a lot of agents. You have two minutes to impress me. If I'm not impressed in the first two minutes, then the meeting is over. And he literally sets the stopwatch down. You're seeing it like tick in front of your face. It's like, man, I just drove two hours for this, and I'm on two-minute timeline, you know? And so um, 
I really had to kick it into gear there. Uh, and the meeting actually stayed going. I didn't end up getting that kid, but the, he did. It. I did make it past the first two minutes at least, um, which is positive. Um, you know, another one is I remember this this kid. He was up in Ohio, and I had to fly up on Thanksgiving the day before Thanksgiving. I actually flew back on Thanksgiving Day, and you know, he said, "Hey, you're going to meet with my mom and my uncle." And I'm like, "Okay, that's great." Well, I get there and a the guy that answers the door is like this older white guy in a like a velour jumpsuit. If you remember Al Davis, what he used to wear, kind of like the crust velvet. That's who answered the door. And the player that I was recruiting was a black player. So I knew that this was he introduced himself as the uncle. I'm like, okay, this guy is definitely not his uncle. Um, you know, let me let me see what's going on here. And then the mom was there, and so we're sitting in kind of a L-shape formation on the couch. There's two couches in L-shape. And you had the player and his his air quote uncle there on one couch, and then the mom and me on the other. And the only questions the uncle was asking is, "Well, when does he get paid? I'm going to help him manage his money. Can you tell me about the money?" And that was the, literally the only questions he was asking, right? And I was really trying to get the mom involved, really trying to get her to ask some questions so that I could hopefully have a you know concerted effort here. Mom wouldn't say a word. I'd ask her a question. Nope, no question. Nope. So finally. She's like, oh, hey, Mr. Turnage. And I was like, oh, I'm thinking to myself, great. She's got a question. She's like, hey, can you scoot back a little bit? I can't see the TV that I'm trying to watch. I'm like, this is during our meeting. You're watching TV. That's really the only thing you said the entire meeting is ask me to scoot back away from the TV where you can see it better. So you have all kinds of stories, funny stories like that, that, you know, you've happened. You've had on the flip side some really horrible ones. I, I never will forget I flew to a guy, um, flew into Birmingham and was meeting with the kid or was supposed to meet with the kid. And it was like a disaster flight scenario, you know, flight got delayed and all this. I spent like eight hours in an airport or on an airplane. I get there and the kid's like, oh, yeah, I meant to tell you, I actually signed with an agent last night. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? I just literally spent a lot of money. You know, he's like, hey, I do have another teammate that might want to meet with him. I'm like, no, I'm out. I don't want to meet with you or any of your teammates. I'm out. Is it generally harder to get? Is it hard like for you? Is it harder to get the player or harder to get the deal? Um. Harder to get the player, uh, again, because of the competition, because, I mean, you can have guys now that are literally, you know, what you call PFAs, preferred free agents. So they're not going to be drafted, but they're really, really highly sought after after the draft that, you know, will have 30 agents calling them, even a guy that's not going to be drafted. And so it's very, very difficult to segment yourself. And you've got guys that will just start lying. Agents will throw out things that just aren't true, that are blatant fabrications um, and and they start negative recruiting. Oh, you don't want to go with this guy because of X, and you don't want to go with him. And and so it really, really gets hard. But, yeah, I'd say getting the player is harder than the deal. One one final question for me. Do you remember what the mom was watching on TV? <laughs> I do not. I need to. That would make it that story so much better. Maybe I need to come up with something there, uh, you know, like Duck Dynasty or something. Uh, if it was a soap opera. Yeah, exactly. Soap opera would have been like, that would be the funniest possible thing for her to be watching on TV. Absolutely. <laughs> um, that's really all the questions I have is uh, what's kind of coming up next for you. So, you know, right now it's a unique time for agents. I mean, we're in the middle of, so we've signed our rookie class. They're off training, getting ready for the upcoming drafts and whatnot. So we're taking care of those guys. We're also kind of starting to recruit for next year a little bit, starting to reach out for the 2022 draft. And then we're also trying to keep our veterans happy. Some of them are still in the playoffs, so they're excited. Some of them, their season's ending. Some of them, they're about to be free agents where their contract expires. So these next few months are really, really hectic for us, which it's fun, and this is the fun time, but you've got a lot of balls you're juggling with the, with kind of each different segment there. 
I want to thank Chris so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Instagram and Twitter. And we have also included Chris's information in the episode description for this podcast. Okay. Now let's go ahead and bring in John Shaw. Are you a cheater? Like when it comes to playing games, board games, sports, whatever, are you a cheater? I am not a cheater. I've never cheated. That's a lie. <laughs> yeah, that might be a lie. Uh, though I, I don't, I can't really recall a single instance of when I cheated. Definitely not during competitive sports. Uh, so you, so you didn't, so you didn't really try then. Because I'm a big believer in the idea that if you're not cheating a little bit, you're not really trying. <laughs> so what you're saying is you're fine with professional athletes taking a little, a little extra something to, you know, to get ahead of the game, so to speak. I don't have an issue with it in the sense that, like, look, if I was offered this opportunity and I could make millions of dollars and play in this league and all these kinds of things, and all I had to do was stick a needle in my arm a couple of times, like, that's an easy decision. Like, okay, yeah. Whenever somebody, like, are, are you, okay, are you one of these people that's like, oh, I can't believe they were on drugs? I don't believe for a sec. I'm not surprised for one second. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm not surprised either. I think every professional athlete in every sport, maybe except hockey, uh, take steroids. And even there, I, I bet you they're taking something to recover. How about when you play like board games or any <laughs> kind of, do you have a cheating philosophy or are you the guy that when they pass his go and you're the banker, you don't, you take 200, you don't really take like 300 accidentally. <laughs> no, I, I don't cheat at board games. I, uh, I, I'm, wow. I'm pretty straight. I'm black and white when it comes to, to board game playing. Why cheat? It takes the fun out of it. I mean, if I want to win that bad, I'll just, you know, just play against myself and win. I'd rather win. <laughs> Look, some of us, I guess, have a competitive fire and others are okay with second place. I, I don't think cheating to win counts as a win. I guess in your book, get the win however you can. Yeah, I think that in life, in general, we're taught as kids that, you know, you're supposed to be honest, you're supposed to be fair. But I think that if you look at people who are successful at the top of their field, they're all pretty shady, right? They've all done something where they basically like, ooh, that was, uh, they're all kind of cheaters. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, Tom Brady, he deflates footballs, dude. Everybody knows it. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're going to say that, and I, I don't have any anything to prove this, but if, if he deflates the football just a little bit, I'm sure every other quarterback does it. It's still cheating, though, right? Just because everybody does it doesn't mean it's not cheating. Cheating is still cheating. Right, but cheating is cheating. But if if every other competitor you face does it, then I, I wonder, is it cheating? Okay, so to take it out of sports, like if the speed limit is 70, but everybody's going 75, are you really speeding? Uh, I guess that's the question. I think that any successful person has to have at least 25% shadiness. Are we talking about like mega successful? Because in that case, I would agree, yes. But a millionaire, maybe four or five million, I don't think you have to cheat to get that. You can accomplish that if you're smart enough and a little bit of luck. I don't think you need to cheat. I think that's very few and far between. I think that if you found most people who are, let's say, like five million and up, not super billionaires or mega millionaires, but I think anybody five million and up has probably done something a little bit shady. 
I, I have mixed thought. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think so. But I, I once again, I don't know. I don't. Do you know a millionaire? Like, could you call a friend who's a millionaire right now and just start talking to them? I don't have one person in my life who's a millionaire. I don't think. Yes. Oh, all right. Well, <laughs> good for you. You should get them on the podcast. And I can tell you right now that they are shady. <laughs> and they're like the most low-level, rich shady. So they're the worst kind of shady. Yeah, they're probably worth like nine million. I think. Okay. All right, so now that we've established that cheaters are all usually the people who win, let's go ahead and move forward. <laughs> Keep moving on. What what are we going to cheat at now? Our wives, I guess. <laughs> you uh, you went there. I didn't. Uh, I'm too honestly like I'm too lazy to even do it. Could you imagine being married and having a girlfriend? Like I don't understand who has that. Literally, just from a time standpoint, that's too much effort. I agree with you, and I, I would fuck it up regardless. I'm not smart enough to, like, hide things. And I, I don't even think nowadays you can really hide anything. I mean, you can find out anything about anyone pretty much. All right, uh, let's give some shout-outs, shall we? Uh, we'll start on Instagram. Uh, Robert Russo, appreciate you. Uh, Kevin, Braden Harbin, Sean Donahue, and Ellie Wood. Appreciate you all checking us out. And then on Twitter, uh, Nora Raquel Rodriguez. Jedlo, uh, Ninja Slippers, that's by far my favorite, and then uh, Richard Lewis III, and I appreciate anyone who takes the time to make sure they put their, you know, second or third in there, so. Uh, is that Raquel Rodriguez? Do you know who that is? Uh, I, I do not know who that is, no. That's Rich Rodriguez, the football coach's daughter. <laughs> oh, no. Of course it is. It is, seriously, it is. It really is. For those who are just listening for the first time, I live in Michigan. I'm a Michigan football fan. And, you know, without a doubt, Rich Rod was not a very good coach here. But anyway. Very nice guy. I don't really appreciate you besmirching him. <laughs> I'm sure he was a nice guy. I'm sure Raquel's a very nice person. So, Nick, if you could uh, do one of these just once, which one would you pick? Hit a home run, score a touchdown, or dunk a basketball? Well, dunk a basketball. Because dunk a basketball is the only of those feats that you couldn't accomplish accidentally. Like you can, mm. you can be an average, completely average, and hit a home run. Like you could accidentally do it if you stood up there and they threw enough pitches. Eventually, you could accidentally do it. Like there's a lot of doofuses who scored touchdowns. Dunk a basketball. There's only if you can do it once, you can do it again. Uh. <sighs> So I, I agree with you. Well, I agree with you that someone you could probably score a touchdown if you're left unblocked. Uh, hitting a home run, though, I think you're not giving that enough credit. I don't think any Joe Schmo can hit a home run. I think any Joe Schmo can hit a home run given enough opportunities to do it. Like eventually, if you are of average athletic ability, you're going to be able to do it. It might take a thousand pitches, but you could do it. Uh, that's that's a good one. I I, I don't know. I'm going to say no still, but thousand pitches that's that's a lot of time but i still don't think so do you i imagine that you're probably not much of a uh of a reader but I, i'm just curious oh you're uh, calling me stupid <laughs> uh, i read you a have, book last night you have I to didn't pick, read the whole book but i read some of the book <laughs> basically have, saying someone's not a reader is calling them stupid i'm not calling you stupid i'm what are I you just, reading over there professor i i read quite a bit actually thank what? you very much comic uh, books no, I I I have my genres that I like. Oh my god. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. 
anybody who says I have my genres after being asked about something is clearly a schnob. I'm not a I'm a, I I, I prefer genres. I prefer World War II history. Uh, oh my god, you're 90 years old. You're like reading about submarines. I I mean I I like reading about the about the event that defined the world for the next 300 years. Oh, okay. Let's pump the brakes here, buddy. That was like that was actually 70 years ago. Didn't uh, define the world for the next 300 years because we don't know what's going to happen next. I I don't, but I, I I don't I don't you I mean you can't really hate on World War II like me me saying that's a oh genre. you can't because nothing bad happened in World War II. No, no. I mean, like someone trying to learn about it, and and I I mean you can't really you can't really do that. I don't think. I mean. Um. I mean, I, mean I, I would say you can't hate on people generally learning about anything unless it's cannibalism. That's probably <laughs> that's not really acceptable to learn about. You know, and then I also um, so dabble in biographies, sports and political. So I mean, I you know I probably put down thirty to fifty books a year. Wow! Like actually pick up and like read read them, or are you doing a technical thing where you like I put down fifty books? No, I don't you actually I, just pick them up and put them down. <laughs> no, I, I don't do I don't do the the tablets. So I I buy them and I like I like flipping pages and you know. Wow, dude, that's a lot of money. Why don't you go to the library? I, I do sometimes, um, but I, I prefer to own the book. It's just something that I I prefer. Oh, snob, snob. I don't whatever. So the question was to you. Uh, which one are you going to, are, are you going to read first or use to read? I should say like outlet, a magazine books or a tablet. Oh, I do like when, if I read something, I do like to have something in my hand. I'm not going to waste my time on magazines when you can just go online and get the same thing for free. So it's a book. It it really is actually. It's uh yeah, I, I still get magazines and it's literally nothing. They're like days old now on stories. It's kind of sad, really. What magazine do you get? <laughs> you sound so surprised. Uh, I know. Yeah. Please be something stupid. No, I I get Sports Illustrated and Time. Okay. <laughs> and then my last question to you, seeing you can't you waste a lot of money. You really do. I don't. So the, I I think the time was fifteen bucks for an entire year. It's a waste. And then I, I, Sports Illustrated is probably thirty bucks. Forty five bucks. That's six drinks at the bar. No, I'd rather have the six drinks. Honestly, I really would. Like, if honestly, if I'm thinking about the if the price of time for a year is fifteen dollars, I would have stopped at twelve. Like, ooh, I'm not paying fifteen dollars for that. <laughs> I can get this shit on Twitter for free. You're ridiculous. Once again, it's just something about having. You know, they come with a cool cover, and some of them are collectibles. You know, it's. Do you have a Time Magazine collectible? Do you have a collection? Uh I mean, I I, I keep. Certain ones that are like commemorative issues and things, yes. Okay, all right. What's one of them? Uh, I mean, the, the last one was the. Uh, it was just recent. It was Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on the cover. You know, you always keep presidents, world leaders. You know, things like that. I would make an argument that National Geographic is the only acceptable collectible periodical, but that's just me. <laughs> it's that's a good magazine. I mean, I, I don't obviously subscribe to it, but you know. You like nature, so it's up your up your alley, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, then my last one, uh, are you a dipper or are you a dunker when it comes to food? What's the difference? I mean, it, it's kind of what it sounds like. A dunker is uh, – a dipper, from what I understand, is all the way in. A dunker is, could just be half, a quarter, whatever. 
So are you getting the whole thing saucy? Or are you just getting, you know, like a quarter or half of it saucy? Hmm. Am I taking the whole thing? Or am I only taking a little bit in? <laughs> I like to take the whole thing, right? Like if I'm going to go down that road, I want to take the whole thing. I want to feel the whole thing. <laughs> so I'm, I must be a dunker, right? If you want to take the whole thing all at once and not spare any room, then you're a dunker. I would say that my preferred stat, my preferred strategy, I'm thinking of buffalo wings, right? I think that's the that's this gold standard of dipping stuff. Mm. I would probably go probably like 55%, right? I would say 55% generally. Like I'm going to dip the whole wing in there, but I'm not going to turn it. But I'll get the whole wing. See, so the, the, well, that would make you a dipper, not a dunker. I think dipper is probably twenty five percent and under, honestly. Otherwise, you've got to have a third category. <laughs> I, I, you, you know, have, I, like sampler, like you're just going to sample. I get, I get, okay. I would accept sampler twenty five percent and less, dipper twenty five to fifty, and then dunker fifty plus. Are you going to say that dunking is a hundred percent or nothing? Because then everybody would be a dipper. No, I, I mean, if if we're going, if we're adding those three categories, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go against you. Okay. I, oh, are we <laughs> in our top five? Are we already there? We're, we're moving. We're moving like me on the treadmill this morning. Uh, not on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. I, what do you have? Do you have a treadmill at your house? I have an elliptical. Wow. What's hanging on it right now? Uh, right now it is. Oh man, this is embarrassing to say out loud. Uh, there's actually a printer balancing on it right now. <laughs> where is it balancing on the elliptical machine? On like the where the screen slash control panel is? No, we're on one of the foot uh, the foot things. I don't know what you call those. The what's on foot. the other one? You just have uh, a printer on one. Why isn't like it, the, I'm assuming then that that is the side of the elliptical that's on the bottom. Yeah, well, I mean, both 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 pedals are are near the floor, and I just put a printer on the the one pedal, um, just to get it off the floor for a little while till I figure out where I want to put my printer. When did you start hoarding things? You have no <laughs> other space in your house for a printer except on the elliptical machine. Well, we're getting some work done in my 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 house, right? Uh, so we're the whole house all at once. Uh. Three of the top rooms. I mean, my house isn't very big, so so mm-hmm. I had to move stuff out of rooms. So oh, I okay. Find... I like how you threw in there that you have a multi-story house. By the way, <laughs> that's a snob, dude. It's a basement. I mean, coming from the guy who has a fridge that will make you food. Oh, you don't read any books? I read <laughs> two books today. You get so so offended. You're like me right now. You're just you're just getting way offended. I just want to know what possible reason you could have when you're looking around your house to need somewhere to put something that the only place you could possibly put it is on the pedal of an elliptical machine, which seems to be the worst possible place to put it because you have children. Not none of them are going to push one of the pedals. Well, they don't go into the basement, so I don't have to worry about that. Okay. Got your own creeper cave down there? <laughs> I, I I do have a man cave, yes. Okay. What are you printing? What are you even printing? Why do you even have a printer? Uh, you know, it's uh I I print some things that What? Uh, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a tabletop gamer, so I I need to print some materials off for those sometimes. Uh, my wife goes to school, 
Uh, so she is printing documents. You know, it's just not for me. Okay. You go color or black and white? Uh, black and white, man. Color ink is way too expensive sometimes. Yeah, man. That ink will get you. It will. will. Okay. So wait, when you print something, do you take it off of the pedal or do you print it directly from the pedal? I have it situated on the pedal to where I can print it and it doesn't, you know, doesn't affect it. It's pretty sturdy. Okay. <laughs> All right. This makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, you get, there's got to be a thousand other places you could put it. That is literally when I'm thinking about it, probably the worst place in that room to put it. <laughs> uh, my, my basement's pretty jam packed right now. So. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So our, what, what the hell, how do we start talking about printer? I'm not really sure, but I, our top five is, is exciting. Should be controversial. Okay, you can look. Due to the fact that you've already heard that John keeps a printer on his elliptical machine, he seems to be that he will have more expertise in this particular category than I will. <laughs> our, we'll our, see. Our, our, our top five is top five dips. What's your number five? Uh, so I'm going pretty basic here, and uh, I'm just going to start off with an oldie, but uh, just just regular old ketchup. Oh, I think that's okay. So ketchup, it definitely has to be on the list when you think about it in terms of like practicality and ubiquitousness. Mm-hmm. But I think that's too, I think that's too low. I think ketchup should be much higher. There's too many things that you use ketchup on, to be honest with you. It, uh, so it, it's it's, it's good. It's boring. It's basic. It's boring. So that's why it's number five. Okay. Yeah. You know, watch, watch how snobby this list is about to get. You don't mean you use, don't use chartreuse. <laughs> what's your number five mustard i don't even know what chartreuse is it might be a color or it might be some kind of spice i'm not actually entirely sure uh no my number five is ranch okay i mean i don't like ranch uh so that's it won't be anywhere on my list so. okay i'm gonna tell you i have a friend who makes his own ranch and takes it with him to restaurants how much do you think that friend weighs I I guess because you're asking me, I'm going to say 300 plus. He says 287, but he's easily over 300. Oh, listen, I I tell people I'm 250 and I'm probably more like 275, but always add 20 pounds at that at that weight scale. I am very confident that there is not one single 511 person in the entire world. (laughs) I didn't know where you were going with that. I uh, uh, yeah. Why does he also say he's 511? No, there's not one five foot eleven person in the entire world. They're all Dude. six foot. Uh, yeah, I'm five ten, and I tell people I'm six three. So, well, people are bad judges of height. I would say that. Okay, what's your number four? Uh, so my number four is uh, just another oldie but a goodie, and that's just uh, good old buffalo sauce. Ooh, I don't think I don't believe buffalo sauce rises to the level of anything that's going to be on my top five. I appreciate buffalo sauce. But I don't think it's top five worthy. That's why my number four is salsa. Once again, I'm not a. I, I, I sh- it should be on lists, and it, I agree with you. But I, I'm not a big salsa guy, so that's why it's not on my my list. Okay, what's wrong with salsa? What do you have against salsa? I'm just, I'm just not. I, I've never really had any that I, I truly enjoy. Um, I've had a couple of spicy salsas that are okay, but I'm you know it's it, it gets too watery and it's too tomatoy. I'm not a big fan of tomatoes. That's probably where it comes from. It's just, yeah, I'm I'm good with staying away from, from salsa. Would you say the same thing about ketchup? Like, do you feel that salsa is hard to get right, but ketchup is hard to get wrong? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I Yeah, that's a good way to put it. 
I would agree with you on that, actually. Like, I can't think of every salsa that I've ever had in my taste scale would probably be like a seven or eight, but I've never had like a 10 salsa. Like, man, got to go back to that place for the salsa. <laughs> I actually think it's it's based upon the kind of chip you eat, which really counts mm, as salsa. You're right. It's much more the chip than it is the salsa. Yeah. That's a good observation. Okay. What's your number three? Uh, Chipotle aioli. Okay, snob. <laughs> I don't even know what aioli is. Not a clue. Does it have mayonnaise in it? It sounds like uh, something that has mayonnaise in it. Yeah, it does. Um, so, I mean, basically what it is, it's it's uh, garlic salt with like a, like a mayo base. It can also be like another kind of base, but in America, I think we use mayo primarily. Um, but it's like garlic and, and mayo pretty much. You spell it? Ooh. Uh, a this a a i o l i maybe a i o l i aioli that is correct boom get it sauce made of garlic salt and olive oil found in the cuisines of northwest mediterranean actually I, i'm sorry I, I should i probably should have put it on there as chipotle mayo uh mm. which it's mistaken as chipotle aioli even though my container in the fridge is chipotle aioli it's actually probably more like Chipotle mayo. Okay. Can you make a decision, please, if you're going to say Chipotle or Chipotle? Because you're going back and forth. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to stick with the Chipo- uh, Chipotle. Ch- 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 you had too much ch- not enough ch- <laughs> yeah. Chipotle. No, it's Chipotle. What's your number three? Blue cheese. Okay. I, I like blue cheese. I actually, I, I don't. I wasn't going to bring this up earlier, but I, I don't know why you dip your wings. I don't dip my wings, but if I ever have to dip my wings, it would be in blue cheese. I would agree with that. There was one place, Wings Over Broadway in Tucson. Shout out to Wings Over Broadway. Best wings I've ever had, honestly. And I'm my family is from Buffalo, where Buffalo Wings started. Best wings I've ever had was Wings Over Broadway in Tucson, Arizona. They had blue cheese in there. Man, you... you I could see some people killing people for that. It was good. <laughs> it was good. The only time that I've ever used blue cheese with hot wings was when the the wing was too hot and I I needed something to like give me a moment of relief. Oh, couldn't take it, huh? I listen. I, I've had moments where I've been like, yeah, give me those nuclear wings. They ain't shit. Uh, John, you you just wasted twelve dollars because you're not gonna be like, oh yeah, fuck it. Give me another beer too while you're at it and some salt, and then. I'm already, I'm sweating before I even eat them, and then it's just it's just you know goes downhill from there. So I had a buddy who won a Hooters hot wing contest and literally burnt his lips, like oh. he couldn't literally burnt them. He was in miserable misery for like two days <laughs> from doing it, but he won. Shout out for that ten dollar gift card, Ben Nelson. Nice job, baby. <laughs> ben Nelson, you're a true American hero. Appreciate he you. Wings fifty. He ate fifty spicy wings and burnt his lips. And you could see looking at him like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> your tomorrow is going to fucking suck. <laughs> yeah, not only up up on the top, but also down below. Um, all right. Uh, my number two is, uh, I just realized I have a lot of basic stuff on my list. It's just cheese. Oh, okay. I'm really interested to hear what your number one is. Because my number one is cheese. Okay. I don't know how you beat cheese. I mean, cheese so- is just like. Damn. So so my my number one is hot Let sauce. Let me give you my number two. <laughs> God 
dickhead. <laughs> uh, uh, my number two is ketchup. Go ahead and now say your number one that you've tried to ruin it. Hot sauce. What kind of hot sauce? Give me a name and a brand. Uh, I mean, if I, I mean, there's so many. If I had just to pick one, uh, Frank's, uh, Frank's is good. Uh, Frank's Red Hot Hot Sauce. Um, and there's some local companies in in the Detroit area that are really good. I mean, I could bore you with them, but I'm sure you don't care. Uh, I just want one that's not the most generic hot sauce that ever was. Hey, try Tabasco sauce. <laughs> um, Scotty O'Hotties Ghost Pepper hot sauce. Okay. All right. You sound like a man with a hot sauce collection. Ish. I, I definitely have had. Um, I've been trying to lay off the hot sauces, though, as I get older to a certain extent, because I'm noticing I get kind of gassy now. I get a little bit of reflux going on as I'm getting older. If I if I eat really really hot hot sauces, but um, I I probably have ten bottles of different kinds of hot sauces. Oh, it's probably too many, but that's that's pretty cl- that's pretty close to a collection. Have you ever kept any of the bottles after you were done with them? I have not. No, um, even for a little bit, like just let it linger in your house for a little while. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Uh, Okay. All right. What's in your honorable mention? Uh, yeah. So honorable mention, um, I have mustard, hot mustard. I have ranch and blue cheese. Ranch only because I think it needs to be somewhere being said. Uh, I have another mustard variant, honey mustard. Uh, and then <laughs> yum yum sauce. I, I agree with yum yum sauce. I have, a, I have a big problem with mustard. I don't really consider mustard to be a dip. I consider mustard to be a topping. I can't think of any time where I've been like, ooh, give me some mustard. I'm going to dip the mustard. Now, I'll put mustard on something, but I won't specifically be dipping it. I feel like mustard is more of a topping, except for honey mustard. I'll accept honey mustard as a dip. See, I'm the kind of, like, I, I'd like to have a bowl of mustard. I mean, mustard and ketchup, I you know, at the same time. Do you dip mix my, them together? Uh, not on purpose, but, I mean, there are times where you, you know, sometimes they want to talk to each other, so you let them do it. Okay, what do you do first? Do you dip your thing in the mustard first, or do you dip it in the ketchup first? Uh, usually the ketchup first, and then the mustard. Because, you know, the mustard is more point, uh, potent, right? So try to get more ketchup and then just enough mustard. I, I agree with that. I do it the opposite, but trying to attain the same results. Like, I'll go mustard and then ketchup, but I definitely want more ketchup than mustard. I I am starting to realize as my children get older that it's going to be a lot of chicken nuggets and you know uh just things that are dunkable and and and, and whatnot so I, I better get used to liking mustard and ketchup a whole lot more mm, that's the that's the only real problem that i have with your list is that ketchup is too low ketchup i think should have been higher i probably could have swapped chipotle aioli out with that uh you know five and three but i'm confident but you, I'm fine but you wanted to be a snob you had to be fancy about it with you and all your books <laughs> You're still buttered about the books thing. It's fine. Who has time to read 50 books a year? It's a book I, a week. What are you doing all day? I mean, we've talked about it before on this podcast. I'm up early. I stay up late. Uh, I like me time. And uh, during me time, I I read or I do something else. I would go ahead and go ahead and say, all right, well, something else probably sums this up. I <laughs> would say that 90% of males... When they get me time, there's only one thing they're doing. 
you and you and our audience might not believe this, but it is not that for me. I am not. Uh, I am not that person. Okay. All right. You got to have some build up. I understand. <laughs> uh, the it's only weak the thing. Only, the only thing. thing that I have that you didn't mention would be guacamole. Oh. Yeah, I forgot about guacamole. My problem with guacamole is there's no sustainability there. You no. open it or you make it and you have to eat it then and there or it turns nasty and brown and you're like, oh boy, that's just gross looking. Well, and it's not ju- it's not that great unless it has some strong kind of accompaniment with it. Like just, I'm just going to eat chips and guacamole? Like, no, that's not that good. But if you have chips, guacamole, and salsa, or chips, guacamole, salsa, and cheese, now we're talking. But just guacamole by itself, it, to me, is not that great. I mean, I mean, once again, I, I think it's about the chip. Like, you give me a good, like, you know, lime chip. I mean, I'll eat it with anything, including nasty old guacamole. Mm, I can't think of anything else that would be on there. Mayonnaise. Nobody uses mayonnaise. Cottage uh, cheese. I wouldn't think cottage cheese would be a good dip necessarily. Sour cream. Sour cream's not bad. Um, honestly, I'm not I'm not a big fan of it, and I and I don't think it's like ranch or salsa, right? Like I don't like those usually. Yeah, but I don't think it's to that level. I would agree with that. There's not a lot of dipping of pure sour cream. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I've been wrong plenty of times before. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Love hearing your comments. I, I don't see how you beat cheese as number one, right? Even if you had something else in mind at the start of this top five, once cheese is brought up, it's like, mm, yeah, it's cheese. Pretty much cheese or a variant of cheese like blue cheese. I would accept blue cheese as well. But let me know what you guys think are the top five dipping sauces. Guacamole ain't it, man.